and welcome back to the Security Metrics Podcast. I'm Jen Stone. I'm one of the principal security analysts here at Security Metrics, and I'm very excited today to bring to you John Elliott. He's a consultant and author who uh, specializes in security directives. He's represented both Visa Europe and MasterCard on the PCI Security Standards Council and contributed to many of the PCI standards, including most recently, PCI DSS version 4, which if you're in the PCI world, we're all abuzz about that. He's helped large companies in the financial and airline sectors with complex PCI DSS and GDPR programs. And if you're not familiar with GDPR, that's the, the European Privacy Directive. In his spare time, John authors online video training courses for Pluralsight. John, welcome. What did I miss? That, that was about it, really. Um <laughs> I'm just enjoying my independence from working from a like a big corporate at the moment, also to do a bit of writing about PCI DSS. That, but yeah, generally, generally that's it. I'm just doing a bit of consulting work. Um, and history-wise, you you summed it up. Like the last two years or two and a bit years I spent at Mastercard, mostly in the weeds of PCI DSS version four. Well, I'm so excited that you're willing to talk to me. We've had you on before, and you brought us such great knowledge in the past about the PCI DSS. And really helping us kind of dip our toe in the water of what is this 4.0, when's it going to hit us, all of these things. Super excited to have you on the show. And it, it's a real pleasure. I do have to say something because um, it's, I've only recently left MasterCard and left working with the PCI standards. Everything I say is my own opinion. It's not like what MasterCard's opinion was. And if I make predictions about things that I think are going to happen, it's things I think are going to happen. It's not inside information. I so appreciate I say, you saying oh, that. John said that, therefore MasterCard yeah. must be doing it. It's like, <laughs> I don't have any of that information. Yeah, we're not going to hold you to anything that you said. Just help us understand. And, and you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad you mentioned that because as, as an assessor, I sometimes will say things because people will ask my opinion and I think, wow, how much of this opinion is is... Are people going to beat me up over later if I if I get something wrong or if things change or if I've misinterpreted something? And I think it's important to recognize we are all humans trying to, to sort this out properly together with the best of intent. So um, welcome to the show again. And let's jump into why. Why is my first question? Why? Why are we? I was just starting to understand 321. I was just oh, feeling good. Come on. I mean, three, two, one. <laughs> Version 3 of PCI DSS, was, it's nine years old. It's nine years since the last version, the last major release of the standard. So as a QSA, I'm glad you're just starting to enjoy it and put <laughs> your head around it. And yes, we, we're all getting our head around it. And, and, and I love 321. I, I can, you know, I, I, I know this, the numbers of each requirement and things like that. So it's, a bit, it's, it's quite a change having version 4. But look, if we think back to nine years ago, the world was really different nine years ago. We're very much was. We didn't, we, didn't have, we didn't have so much cloud infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It was 50-50 whether you would buy tin or buy cloud services. Right. Now that's completely changed. We didn't have, gosh... We didn't have EMV in the States nine years ago. You were still doing that swipe and sign thing, right? We didn't have 3DS, the, the new version of the 3D Secure Standard for Secure Customer Authentication for e-commerce. We didn't have the same criminals. We've got loads of new criminals who found exciting new ways of stealing cardholder data. Yeah. And so, and, and, and the way we did info, the way we do InfoSec 
has changed massively in nine years. So we definitely needed a new version of the standard. It didn't have stuff in it that was crying out for. It didn't have anything to stop e-commerce skimming attacks, yeah. for example. Yeah. It didn't have it didn't have quite a lot of modern technologies that people used. And so yeah, stability is great, right? And and I, and if you I don't know if you remember Jen that the standard used to used to change every three years. There was the whole thing when it first came out was a three year life cycle. Mm-hmm. An organisation said to the council, "Look, you can't change a standard every three years. We're always trying to catch up with ourselves." And so the council, you know, had a very good mature version with with version three three and and three two on on top of three wasn't a massive change. It was a minor change. Yeah. Um, and so there really did need to be a new version of the standard. Was it too late? Yeah, I, I actually think it should have come out. I think there should have been a version four. I think we should want version five now. I think we, we, we nine years is too long to wait. In a very fast technology moving market, nine years is too long to wait. So I, I, and, and we've seen that because of the length of time it took to birth the standard. I mean, yeah. heck, it took what? Uh, it took nearly four years from people starting to talk about the standard to the standard happening. Um, and that's a really long time as well. And it, it feels like it. Okay, so I actually sent this out, the links out to um, some of my my customers that I know really want to get a jump and want to understand. And the, their response when I send them the links is, "Are you sure? Are you sure it's actually coming out now?" Because they felt like there were some some delays in when that was expected. And can you speak to that at all? Like why maybe it took yeah, that yeah. long? Why did it take so long? Um, three, two, two big reasons. The first is that in an effort to be more consultative with the industry, the council decided to do multiple requests for comments. So it started off the process with a request for comment back in 2017, which Uh was like, what do you think we should change? And it got a lot of feedback. Mm -hmm. And then then it issued a request for comment version, like the first version of DSS version 4, request for comment 1, came out in, and I wrote it down, it came in in October 2019, and there, and I was, I was actually a merchant there, and I was just finishing a very big PCI program. Okay. So I, I wrote loads of feedback, like this is a terrible idea, and how, because because I was a bit, you know, I, you know, I was like, because I knew a lot of the people who were You're writing the standards. You're both knowledgeable and visionary, and you have opinions, John. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote all my opinions down in the feedback spreadsheet, like how on earth could anyone be so stupid to think this is a brilliant idea and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I gave my feedback um, along with, there were th- 3,200 bits of feedback given to the council on version one of the RFC. And every single one of those bits of feedback were addressed. And I know that because that's quite soon, just after RFC one closed, that's when MasterCard suggested I came and worked for them. And so I was sitting on technical working group doing the job I'd done previously for Visa Europe. Um, and the first job was to review 3,200 bits of feedback oh from merchants goodness. and service providers and QSAs. Yeah. S- some of which were my feedback telling people what idiots they were. So that was quite embarrassing. <laughs> um, Cell phones. Yes. Um, so, so, that, so, that's, so that's one reason it took a long time. Because then we did a second request for comment. And we got about 2,000 bits of feedback. Every single one went through. And then because we wanted a lot of feedback about changing the reports and compliance in the SAQs, we did another RFC. When I say we, I mean the PCI SSC. It's it's odd not to be part of the we anymore. The the council decided to do an RFC feedback for the the, um, validation documents because we're proposing quite a lot of changes to those. And so really, 
the first reason it's, it's late is because we the council listened so much yeah. to getting feedback. And believe me, if you wrote a piece of feedback, it was talked about. Every single piece of feedback was talked about. Some for maybe 30 seconds, some mm-hmm. for probably a couple, you know, usually two or three minutes per piece of feedback, sometimes for half an hour, sometimes for actually one whole working group call, because it was like, well, that's a really important piece of feedback. What do we do about this? Okay, so everything was listened to. Um, Some of the people who did feedback would be really sad, because it was just, it was rejected. It was like, no, this doesn't fit the aims of the standard. But Mm -hmm. believe me, everything was listened to. So that's the first reason, too much, too Two, three RFCs, which which the council had never done before. Right. The council was never prepared for that level of RFC feedback. Right. Like, gosh, that's a lot of work. Secondly, this COVID thing. See, normally technical working group, when we work on a standard, we all get together in a hotel room in some exciting place like, I don't know, the exciting places were usually where card brands were. So it was either uh, Foster City or St. Louis (laughs) or... um, or uh, Phoenix, which is really nice and warm, which is where Amex is based. Yeah, but there's no good or food Chica- in Phoenix. Let's or, just or say. Chicago, which is really freezing. So, <laughs> so we usually meet in a, in a hotel room somewhere near a card brand, um, and we do that for a week. So we do this what we call face to face meetings. Mm-hmm. There, we have had not a single face to face meeting since RFC one happened. Yeah, which means we've done virtual face to face meetings, which have been. Oh, gosh, 30 hours a week of Zoom, or we use WebEx. But that's yeah. quite tiring. We don't get through as much. I so agree. COVID slowed things down. Do you know, so, I'm really glad that you pointed that out because on a kind of a side note to that is as we're doing these assessments, a lot of people have said, well, we've learned that we can do assessments virtually. And, and, and my response is no matter how hard you try to do an assessment virtually, to the same degree as the in-person, you miss something, it slows it yep. down, you don't go get those interactive. And when you're trying to develop something together, this is a creative intellectual process, putting these standards together. I can't imagine trying to do this when you're not in the same room where you can have yep. these meaningful conversations, plus the exhaustion of of doing it through screens, which is, it, it does add to that that level of tiredness. And, and bear in mind, you know, since, we, since, since, since PCI... DSS version three came out when there were five brands or five brands from Visa Europe on the council. There are there are now six main brands. Well, there are still five because Visa Europe got subsumed into Visa, but Union Pay joined. Oh, and then also lots of affiliates are joined. So uh, we had people from from India, from Canada, from Russia, from Australia, and therefore some of these people, you know, these calls actually for me, I was I'm based in Europe. For me, these calls on the face to face meetings for a week finished at midnight yeah and so 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 it does add to everyone's transition and, and yeah you don't yeah. get the same creative stuff you also don't get the 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 conversations over over lunch or dinner mm-hmm. or or afterwards when you're not when all of a sudden you you say you know you you made a really good point there i think we should go back and look at that tomorrow mm-hmm. now i've had time to think about it so so if those things happened if if you did have a we used to call them backsies, but if you did have a let's go back and look at something because I'm not sure we made the right call there. Right. That often took a lot longer than it would have been had we been face to face. Sure, and and uh, frankly, when when I when I first because the council has been so good about being transparent. Uh, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. These are the timelines we intend to meet. And and when they said we are going to open this up to a, a request for comment, um, I, these different periods, I thought, do they know? 
the tidal wave of information they're going to get? Do they have enough people to manage that? And then when COVID happened on top of it, I just thought, well, this is, it is, yeah. is just an insurmountable level of effort to meet those timelines. So I, I wasn't surprised. I'm glad that it took the, the time it took to get it right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, that, that sounds like a, um, a lot of very intense brain work trying to sort through with people remotely. Yeah. And, and, you know, all credit to the people who are on Technical Working Group who did that, and especially Lauren, who you probably know, who was an absolute star at managing us and putting the standard together and, and running through all the feedback. So we couldn't oh, have done it great. without her. That's great. Um, I haven't personally met Lauren yet, but I but I hope to, now that we're getting back to these in-person meetings, which, yeah. which have been such a struggle f- for a while. Okay, so um, we understand now we needed a change. I was kind of being facetious when I complained about okay. it. But only because, look, I was finally starting to do chapter and verse on them the way my team lead can do all the time. I don't know if you know Michael Simpson, but I'll be like, hey, Michael, how do, what's the answer to this? And he can tell me exactly almost what page it's on. And, and I thought, oh, I want to be like that. And everything changed. And now I can't be like that. But, <laughs> but, but, but Jen, a lot, a lot of it's still the same. We, 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 it's, it's better worded. It's clearly laid out, oh. more clearly laid out. Right? But a lot of the requirements are the same requirements. They've been tidied up. Some of the confusing language okay. is taken out of there. So a lot of the requirements you love and are familiar with are pretty similar. That's really good to hear because people are worried when I ask them, you know, or talk to them a little bit. Hey, keep an eye open for this, but don't panic yet. They're worried. They they feel like they finally have their ducks in a row for 3.2.1. And then now they are not. They're, they they don't know what to expect, how it's going to change. Are the requirements going to change? Is how they meet, is it going to change? And so, yeah. so the, for organizations that are currently successfully meeting PCI DSS 3.2.1, how, what's that stretch? What is that step towards 4.0 going to look like for them? It's a big. It's. I'm, I'm not. I, 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 yeah. It's. I, I, I'm not going to make it minimize it. It's a big change. Okay. The, the first. The thing that's most important is a lot of the core principles of the standard haven't changed. So although the introductory sections have been substantially reworded. In lots of cases, the council has just pulled the FAQs into the standard mm. of FAQs that came up while yeah. in the past nine years. So it might look a lot more. There is no intent to have changed things like scoping and sampling or anything in there. It's just hopefully it's explained better and more clearly with the benefit of nine years of getting feedback from the assessor and merchant and service product community. Okay. So so that there are no conceptual changes, even though it looks like the introductions changed quite a lot. Okay. There are fifth or sixty-four. I'm checking. I'm checking the summary of changes. There are sixty-four new requirements. Fifty-three of them apply to everyone. Eleven just apply to service providers. So there are a lot of new requirements. Um, but there aren't as many new requirements as there could have been. Some of the stuff that was in RFC one, like encryption over a private network, like data leakage prevention tools. So some of those have been taken out. Hopefully. If you were to look at the standard now, it's probably what reasonable, I hesitate to use the word state of the art, but reasonable security would be that an information security professional would recognize that those were the controls that most organizations would have, should have in place with some special ones added for protecting payment card data. For instance, the e-commerce skimming, because the e-commerce skimming is a big problem. Sure. 
Yeah. For, so for me, as an assessor, I always start with security. Tell me about your security program. I want to understand their general security stance. And if they understand things like, like you just said, we should talk about e-commerce skimming um, in a whole thing at some point. Um, a, a lot of people are, are, are that I talk to now try to lean on, um, um, well, we don't have to do that because we have an iframe and they don't understand the nature of skimming and how it's developed and how people are are worried about it, but but n- not to sidetrack this conversation. But can I just talk about timelines very quickly first? Yeah. So don't panic. Okay. Like, you know, it's like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the front page, don't panic. Yes. Right, because the standard doesn't become effective until the 1st of April, 2024. Yeah, it's so so away. far away. And it yet. does. And then the new requirements don't come into force until the 1st of April, 2025. Okay. So there are three years to get your ducks in a, a row. Great. Now... But some of those requirements might take you three years, so start, uh, but don't panic. Okay, okay. big changes. Um, there are 53. I'm not going to go through them all. Um, the ones that I think will create problems for organizations that you need to start thinking about. Mm-hmm. If you store sensitive authentication data, so the full track, which hopefully no one in the world stores the full track anymore, mm-hmm. but like the three-digit or four-digit CVB2 or CID codes, right. if you store those pre-authorization in case your authorization link fails and you want to try it again, that needs now to be encrypted. Great. How you encrypt a three-digit number will be intriguing because it's actually really hard to do. Yeah. Because you have to pad it, and once you've padded it, then the padding will be... Anyway, it's quite hard to do. Uh, secondly, hashing. Hashing has gone away. Hashes need to be keyed hashes now. They need to be cryptographic hashes because brute forcing of hashes mm-hmm. is so easy that it offers no protection of cardholder data. And that's a really good example of how in nine years, yeah. hashing with a recommended salt nine years ago was okay. It was, it was okay. just okay, but it mm-hmm. was okay. Now it's like people laugh at you yeah. if you say that's how you're protecting something. <laughs> that's not protection. Um, what are you talking about? So I mean, I'm glad yeah. you're mentioning these because, uh, like you said, just because we have three years doesn't mean you, you should wait three years to see what what the changes are. That's that is alone a potentially a three year change. To, if you ha- have architectural implications to that and and tooling implications and and personnel. Yep. Yeah, and, and if and, and if you're using hashes a lot, in fact, while we're talking about encryption, let's also mention that Triple Des dies at the end of uh, is it this year or next year? Triple Des dies pretty soon. Yeah. Yep, um, and so Should if be you're dead using now, triple, but de- if, you, if you, yeah, but it, NIST, it, it's it's deprecated uh, after. I'm going to check the date. It's deprecated by NIST, and therefore, if you're using triple des, it won't be strong cryptography to encrypt pan either. Correct. So that's again, that might be a three year a three year thing of having to get code, get resource allocated, get it scheduled into your development timetable. Uh, what are the big changes oh, in encryption? Certificate management. Um, so nowadays, uh, you have to, now in, in requirement four, you need to validate the authenticity of a certificate you're relying on, whereas before you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there needs to be some technical protections against phishing, and that doesn't mean telling your users not to click on phishing links. It means oh, technical yeah. measures to stop phishing links coming into the organization. This is one of my favorite ones skimming. because in the past, what did we say? Oh, it's a personnel problem. It's your your people are your weakest link. And, and, and we need to stop beating up on people because the nature of how human beings react to their work and do their work, you, you end up getting the most um, dedicated, helpful people getting trapped by phishing. And, and, yep. and then it's just um, it's just so demotivating when we have tools that can do it, if we have if we have tools that can help people, why would we not? So I'm really glad to see that one in there. Yeah, 
and so so tools tools are really important um, because everyone clicks on phishing links eventually. I mean, yeah. the whole idea of phishing is it's designed to try and trick you. Right. I mean, there are psychologists working out how to try and trick you. So trying to tell people not to be tricked when people are trying to trick them is really, in my opinion, just a waste of time. It just makes the users feel terrible. It's yep. just, anyway, exactly. different subjects. So the requirement is that there's anti-phishing technology in place. And there is a requirement for training. And the training's got the emphasis on reporting phishing emails. Nice. Right, because... If your protective measures have failed, mm -hmm. then the only person who might see that phishing email is the user. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the user is the only detective control we have left to say to the SOC, this phishing email got through. Right? So, that, it's, yeah. so the, emphasis, the emphasis on the training is reporting phishing emails. Good. Because that's and a positive thing. I think that's great because that way you put the person as the, the last line of defense, not the first line of defense. Yep, yeah, they are. Appreciate They're totally that. the last line of defense. Technology should have picked it up. If it hasn't, then yeah. you are the last line of defense. Please help us by being a detective control. Yeah. Um, Ecom skimming. There are two requirements to protect against major cart type of ecom skimming attacks. The first one is to make sure that the only nece only scripts necessary for the taking of a payment are present on the payment page. That's brilliant. And and that they're authorized by management, and that there is some way of checking the validity of that script. Excellent. So that typically means something like content security policy and sub-resource integrity, although they are not specifically called out in the requirement they mentioned in the guidance. Oh, good. You okay. could also, because you could also use something like uh, some of the content distribution networks will validate the integrity of your scripts before they distribute it to the, the, the users, the consumer browser. Right. And also, you know, we don't want to be too technologically focused in the standard. So we want the outcome in the standard rather than what technology to Good use. Good point, yeah. And then in 11.6.1 is a requirement to detect changes in your scripts. Now, I know security metrics, you have a product that you sell that does that, and so do lots of other organizations. Yeah. So that's now a, a requirement in the standard. So again, a protective control. Let's try and stop this happening. But we know sometimes it will happen, so a detective control. Right. It's called uh, shopping cart monitor, or sh shopping cart inspect is the first step, and then shopping cart monitor is to to monitor those changes. Um, and, and it's, like you said, there's a lot of groups that have it, but I wanted to give a shout out to that because uh, the guy that um, helped develop that, his office is next to mine and he's pretty cool. <laughs> Cool. So, um, good job, Aaron. The important thing is that that finding those changes. In the past, we used to have all kinds of marketing um, and upsell type scripts on the page, or or you know, just finding out information on that page, and it made it so complex and so difficult to find out if there was anything kind of nefarious going on. So having it being limited to just what's needed to take payment, I think, is a is a great step. I'm super happy to hear yeah. that. I, I, I'm super happy that that's what TWG agreed as well. And I'm really super happy that, that you know, people tell me that content security policy and sub-resource integrity are really hard to do. And yeah. they're right on your whole website, but they're not on one payment page. And you could do it on one payment page. And so that, that, that will stop a lot of skimming attacks. It won't stop them all. It, because the payment page is still the iframe. It's not the holder of the iframe. And as we know, there are some iframe attacks Right, there are right. some attacks where you, where you, which you know, Dave is, is, it's, it's, I think he's called. I mean, you've done a really great podcast on security metrics on how to on how iframe attacks work. Right, but, but 
But those iframe attacks rely on badly coded um, payment service providers. It yes. relies on them not using HTTPS cookies. It re- I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. you know, or, it, it, a well-implemented payment page should be able to be implemented in an iframe and isolated from the parent page because there's no access between the document object model of the parent page and the iframe. Yeah. And, and if there was, the whole internet would fail. You know, this, mm-hmm. this separation of, uh, 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 of same origin policy is really important. And I want to be really clear because I know people, and I, in fact, even people at Security Metrics have argued with me before that the parent page should be part of the payment page. That's not the way that small merchants work. And if we were to change it, we're really worried that everyone would go back to doing JavaScript forms and it would be a worsening of security, not a bettering of security. So the compromise is what we've got. Right, and and uh, I think that the the iframe that is well secured and from a from a trusted organization that does it well that that is is known to to secure its payment pages is the best option for this. I wonder what the bad guys have in store for us next in in terms of, uh, you know, it feels like if the information is out there between the user and the the um whatever the where wherever that payment needs to go, that somebody is out there trying to figure out how to grab that and uh, yeah. I think I, th- I think we don't know all the answers. There's probably things out there now that we don't know. This episode is brought to you by our Security Metrics Penetration Testing Team. They do a lot of pen tests. They do a lot like network layer, application layer, segmentation checks. They're very, very knowledgeable. And um, some of them have even won like competitions at DEF CON. So you can rely on these guys to know what they're doing. Head over to securitymetrics.com, learn more about pen testing. My my prediction, uh, and when I said earlier at the top of the show that when I said predictions it was mine, it wasn't anyone else's view. This is my view: is that 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 that, that will migrate to Pete. There are more small payment service providers starting up, and I think they will find themselves the target of more sophisticated attacks than they have been. Yeah, um, and that's that's probably the biggest worry: is that service providers. When you can no longer steal the data back out of the browser, and the, really the only place you've got left to attack is the service provider, the service provider will have much more complicated attacks aimed at them. Uh, I agree. Uh, I agree. I'm, I'm often much more... Um, I beat my service providers up a lot more than the merchants because I, I think merchants that are relying on service providers, their big thing is they should choose good service providers. Yeah. Of course there are things that a merchant needs to do. Um, but also relying on that service provider, like you said, there's there's a lot of little boutique niche type um, payment service providers out there, and, and we're seeing more and more of them. So hopefully yeah. they're all on board the uh, the uh, PCI train. Yep. And let's face it, the attacks against iframes that are successful, the service providers shouldn't have passed their PCI audit given the coding problems the way they coded it. Yeah. Big change. System and application accounts weren't really called out in the standard in version three and version four. That's we true. call them out particularly. Okay. It's like so there are loads more controls of system and application accounts. Like we they exist, but they shouldn't have interactive login, but we know they do have interactive login. So if they have interactive login, it has to be really strongly managed. You can't have hard coded passwords for them in places. Passwords remember have to be encrypted. So lots of changes for system and application accounts. Um, which, if you haven't audited your system application accounts for a few years, yeah. might be a, a load of work for you to do. Yeah. Big one for... I've got three more big ones. Yeah. Uh, multi-factor authentication everywhere for any user with access to the CDE. Hooray. About time. <laughs> and you should be doing that now. Don't wait yeah. for 2025. Do yeah, that today exactly. because that's your biggest protection against phishing attacks. I just make fun of people um, who refuse to do that at this point. It's like... Yeah. You're, that's just dumb. Um, 
automated log monitoring, so rather than manual log, no, no, this is a requirement that's not really a requirement because no one does manual log monitoring. No, that's anymore. insane. What yeah. does manual even mean? Are you kidding it, me on logs? That's crazy. Yeah, precisely. So it's just catching up with the world. And then finally, this is the one to start tomorrow if you plan on becoming compliant with DSS version 4, is internal vulnerability scans need to be authenticated rather than anonymous. Nice. But your authenticated scan will find 10 or 15 times more vulnerabilities mm -hmm. than your non-authenticated scan. So it simulates lateral movement in an organization effectively. Perfect. Um, it can that's take where you, the, that's where the issues happen. Yeah, totally. But if you are a, I have to be careful. I, I have known organizations where moving from unauthenticated scanning to authenticated scanning took three years to resolve all the yeah. positives. Yes, this right. can Especially be. Especially on the size of the organism. What, yeah. what is they call in project management? That could be your long pole. <laughs> yeah, that's, that could be a really big thing. And, and yeah. so if you've got a big organization and you've not done this before, I would start now. And hopefully they have maybe um, subnetting that where they can try it in one and then try it in another and yep. make sure they know what they're doing before they go breaking everything, but stop you know, saying why they can't do it and just do it. I actually uh, chose not to read the um, 4.0 in, in depth before I talked to you because I wanted okay. to hear it fresh. And so that's really awesome to hear those things. Uh, and I'm excited to go look at it um, and read it through right. today later. Can, can I advise you and also anyone who listens to the podcast to read the summary of changes document yes. first? It's brilliantly done. I, it's, I, 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 I was, I was a, a brilliant surprise when I saw it because I hadn't seen it before. It was done after I'd left technical working group and it's really well written and is really great it is sitting on my desktop for my after our conversation very yeah yeah definitely everyone start with some of your changes and then move off to the standard okay love it all right so um one of the things that is feels different is the customized approach tell me about the customized approach well i think it's i i really like the customized approach right when it first came out, I was like, and remember, I was a merchant at the time. I was like, mm -hmm. huh, I'm not sure about this. But it's taken some work, and I think it's in a really great place. So the customized approach is if you, if as an organization, you decide to meet the security requirement in a different way. So PCI DSS has always been massively criticized because it's prescriptive. Yes. And it is prescriptive. Mm -hmm. It is really prescriptive. And, and actually, back when it came out in 2008, heck, it needed to be prescriptive. Even in 2015, it probably needed to be prescriptive. There weren't the same level of knowledge of information security around that. Agree. Th there I agree with you. As there is now. There's a, yeah. there's, the profession has changed massively. Mm -hmm. the, you know, we didn't have the NIST cybersecurity framework. We right. probably didn't have the CIS 20 critical, or the, what it was then, the SANS 20 critical Sans, controls. Yeah, SANS top 20. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that that stuff wasn't around, so it had to be fairly prescriptive to tell people what to do. Yeah. Also, so you could audit against it. Yes. Right. Now that's changed, and so you could say you could say to an organization, "Do not let malware execute on your in your environment as a security objective." We don't care how you do that, right? Right. And so the standard will say prescriptively have anti-malware solutions, but you might have you might have an EDR tool. Mm -hmm. Right, you might have an EDR tool across the organization with network monitoring plugged into it as well. You might have some very complicated stuff right. that you wouldn't you, that wouldn't look like anti malware. Yes, increasingly, right? I've actually had 
customers who have said to me, let me tell you about our security program, why it's better than what you've got, and tell me why we can't use this. You're asking me to do something that is nonsensical in this environment. And I would say, let's talk about how PCI works. And so we would try and find a way together. And so that's why I'm excited about this um, this customized approach, because what it sounds like is it's it's having respect for organizations that have a mature cybersecurity program, and how does that meet the um, objectives of uh, protecting cardholder data? Totally. So, so, you know, a really good example is on requirement five is like uh, malware, the, 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 the security objective is mal- malware cannot execute in the environment. I think, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's something like that. Okay. Right, you, the, the entity then just has to show what how the controls it has decided to put in place meet that security objective. It's quite an evolved process, but it makes it makes it effectively there are two standards in PCI DSS4, which is really I think quite a clever trick the PCI SSC pulled off. There's the prescriptive way of doing it, which is called the defined approach, mm-hmm. the one that you're used to assessing and we're all used to. Right. And then for every single requirement there is a customized approach objective that says why what you're trying to achieve here mm-hmm. and if you can achieve it another way and and prove to an assessor that you're achieving it right. then you're good to go yeah love so it's it. designed for security mature organizations that understand running controls and doing risk yeah. it's not designed for smaller organizations who should still follow the defined approach yeah i i agree with you and it's it's not the intent is not to let people get away with something um, the intent is not to, you know, sidestep some of the re- these requirements. That the intent is, um, uh, good security can be done in different ways, um, and so understanding that. But like you said, v- very few small organizations are going to take that approach. Yeah, so. for, I mean, the best example I talk about is zero trust. If you've properly rolled out a zero trust model and architecture in your organization, lots of bits of requirement eight don't really apply. Yeah, but but. The objective of what's in requirement eight does apply. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, something like you know, stolen you know, criminals can't use bad pa- camp criminals can't use stolen passwords or something. Well, zero yeah. trust fixes that, yeah. Yes. And so, if you're using zero trust, then you can still do PCI DSS without having to implement stupid security controls that don't make any any use in your environment because you have something else that does the same job. Right. Right. The, I think the password requirements is is one of the most obvious to most people. Um, in terms of you know the difference between a customized approach and the prescript the prescriptive approach, which is um, uh, and I don't know what the because I haven't read it yet, but the the old rules where it said seven characters and it had to be changed these things and it had this complexity you know so so there's this way of doing it and the organizations that I would work with um, some of the the more mature ones the larger more complex would say our password requirements far exceed what you're asking for but it doesn't in a different way it doesn't have these specifics how do we how how do we match this up? And so I, I think the customized approach is really, um, it's very different from a, because uh, people say to me, well, isn't customized approach just the same thing as, um, shoot, what was it when they couldn't meet it and they had to do something bigger? Compensating control. Compensating control. <laughs> it is not the same concept because oh. it, the the customized approach, you are meeting the, the requirement um, in a non-prescriptive way, but it is fully functional. The, um, compensating control is you cannot meet this for some reason, and so you're going to put some other layers on there that you're are put, not required. Yeah, a band-aid. Right? Part- you're going to put a band-aid on it. Yeah, yeah. Put it, exactly. It is like a band-aid. And so um, uh, I, I think 
helping people understand those differences. And I don't know if there's a guidance that's going to come out on it or just self-evident or whatever. There is a, wow. Um, yes, there is a document I understand in preparation, which is going to come out in about June. Okay. Which is, I can't remember what it's called. It's 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 like a guide to PCI DSS4. So it'll have some it worked examples of how to do the customized approach. It will go into more details. I, I, again, it's a document that I've not been involved in. It's, it's, it's what the working group are working on now. Um, but, you know, there was some stuff that didn't make the standard because mm-hmm. the standard was getting so long. So yeah. we, we had ri- we'd written some guides about the customized approach and it's sure. like, should we go, should it go in the standard? Should it go in a separate document? It's not in the standard, so I guess it's going to come in a separate document. I shouldn't talk about it too loudly or security metrics is going to make me do a blog post about it. So, <laughs> so uh, okay. Unexpected elements. Was there anything unexpected in 4.0? That anything that kind of surprised you or that would surprise other people? There are some hidden gotchas there that, that you might go, oh, I didn't expect to see that. Uh, I, I should say there were three RFCs, so the industry shouldn't be that surprised by anything that's in the standard. <laughs> they've been they've paying attention. Yeah. Um, there are two things that are unexpected and that aren't in the summary of changes in the report on compliance, okay. which I know will is dear to your heart as an assessor, Jen. <laughs> First, firstly, something can be in place or it can be not in place. Yeah, same as yeah. before. We've now got a third option which is in place with remediation. What does right? that mean? You went, you went in as an assessor, you looked at something, and you went, uh-uh, that's not there, is it? Now, I, I was a QSA as well, so yeah. I know that's what happens a lot. We do that all the, the time, ent- yeah. And the entity goes, shucks, missed that. Let's be, let me put that back in place. And as long as that happens in the course of your audit, yeah. you'll accept it as the control mm-hmm. is in place. Sure. That's now in place with remediation. It wasn't in place when you looked at it to begin with. Now it's in place. You as an assessor are happy that it will be in place again if you looked at it again because they worked out why it wasn't in place and they put it in place. Okay. Um, hmm. People will game it, I know. People well, will I'm just do trying. Pre-assess- <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah? <laughs> but the, the intention is to make it more obvious to management that when you went in as an assessor, 50% of the controls weren't in place. So when the manager signs his AOC off – yeah. He's going to say, why, why is half it in place with remediation? Because sometimes that's not really escalated up mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. people who are responsible in the organization. Yeah, It's, it's, it's like hidden below. And so there's the two intentions. One is that management will see that some of the controls that they, that they had believed themselves were in place all year were actually not in place when they were looked at by an assessor. Secondly, if I if, if I'm buying services from you as a service provider, mm-hmm. and I see you have some things that were in place with remediation, well, everyone will do. Yeah, and they still pass the with that, right? They're still pass. They're still compliant. Okay, it's still a compliant rock. It's just that we're making clear the thing that happens when QSAs go in and they look and they it's an assurance exercise. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I've, you. I'm not sure I've done it. For the I, I talk a lot at conferences about what's the point of having an annual audit. Yeah. And everyone goes, it's like, oh, so we can be compliant and prove to the guard brands. It's not. It's the only day you get independent assurance your controls are working, apart from from criminals. You have two chances of getting your your controls assessed. Yeah. One is with your QSA. The second is with a criminal. I know right. who I'd rather find my control wasn't working. Yeah. Yep. 
right? And that's why assessment. That's why assessment's there. It's not to report to the card brands and go, oh, aren't we all clever? It's actually so that you, as an entity, find out whether the controls you believe are in place are in place. But I love that. I mean, you you really brought it into perspective for me when you said what the intent was. You know, who is seeing the difference between um, uh, in place with, with remediation as opposed to in place and how that elevates it to the people who are decision makers, who are the ones putting money towards um, time resources, who are managing that those times and resources and who are able to affect change, right? So yeah. um, that that helps me a lot uh, as an assessor and hopefully the, the organizations, you know, if uh, if that conversation is going to be elevated on what something wasn't in place and then was put in place, why yeah. and what was the effort and, and how can it be prevented from happening in the future? excuse me, in the future, right? So um, I appreciate you you addressing that. It's got my mind going in a completely different direction on that idea now. Well, yeah, PCI has always been criticized as a point-in-time assessment. And, right, and, and a lot of the feedback on the original 2017 feedback was make it not a point-in-time assessment, right? But we didn't really – but that's hard to do. We want people to be able to manage their, the, the way they run their controls. Yeah. Right, but the assessor should come in, and and if the assessor find the controls or a requirements not in place, then that should be noted if it was then put in place, and and the assessor should make sure that the entity is capable of, of of keeping that control running. So it's it's trying to get more real world. I I love it. That's great. Okay, so um, is there anything in it that you think people will really like? Hmm, people really like standards. Oh, they love them. There's, there's. Okay. Hey, okay. So let's get back to what you said just a second ago, where where you said you have two times to get it right, either when the bad yeah. guys get in or when your assessor says, "Hey, you're doing great." I had a customer um, uh, two years ago who got hit by ransomware, and when all of the dust settled, they called me and said, "Look, um, the uh, CDE was not touched," and I said, "I know, because I assessed it, right?" Yes. And so um, when when you have that third perspective and and something changes in the way people do their security controls when they know there's going to be another set of eyeballs on it from outside the organization so so the way they do their work the the completeness with which they do their work um, I believe that assessments are one of the great tools that organizations can use to increase their security stance so yeah I mean nobody wants to have their work checked and be told they're wrong it's very uncomfortable on the other hand it's a great way to elevate that, so um, so now that I've ranted right. things, about that things, for a things second, that were people, things that people will really like. Then the layout, the standard's been a lot rewritten. The wording is better; it's clearer. The layout of the page is much better. Uh, it is longer because of that. The guideline section um, has we we tried really hard to take anything that was a, a you must do that some of that was in the guidance section, and that's now not in the guidance section. The testing procedures of it, so it's, it's a easier and better read. Okay. In fact, I'd say it almost reads in some places. People are going to people will laugh at me and send me rude tweets about this, but some places it's actually is, is as good as a security book. Well, like just get off Twitter, stuff. and then they can't uh, they can't tweet at you. Okay. So- <laughs> uh, the glossary's in there. People will like because often people didn't know what. what so the glossary's at the back of the standard. What now. do words mean? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do we, and more of the what do words mean? Uh, there's a what is a week, what is a month, what is a quarter, what is six months. There's a table of time periods, That's and there's a, also excellent. here's something everyone will like. 
Like if it says do it every month and you miss it by a day, you have not failed your annual assessment, right? Right. You miss it by three days, right? But if you missed it by a day because something went wrong, like you had an emergency business thing that day, if you missed it for a reason and it and it's within you know what would be considered normal and it wasn't, it's a one-off. That's fine if you miss it for you know because you just because Fred left and it was Fred that did it and no one else did it. That's not fine. But if yeah. you miss it for genuine reasons by like a day or two, don't worry. So that's been added in there. So trying to be more pragmatic, which is hard in a standard. Mm-hmm. What will people like? I love the customized approach. I'd like to see a version of the standard with everything else taken out and just the customized approach because it could then be an information security policy for your company. Um. I, there's one joke in there that I found, which is in 11.2.1, which you, which is a different number now, but that's the why you have why you test for wireless network access points on a oh gosh I'm going to look embarrassed now quarterly basis is it quarterly basis wireless access point testing on a costly basis. Yeah, like every four every three months you test to see if the oh oh wireless yeah quarterly um yes yeah. Yeah, it's the way it's the way English people pronounce quarterly. Does, uh, well, <laughs> why why aren't you speaking English, John? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, and and in the requirement it says like I don't care if you have a you know because it says a lot of QSAs have replied said well the entity's got a policy against having wireless networks so we don't do that. Oh, <laughs> it, says, it says like no, you have to do this every every three months. Because even if there's no wireless or a policy against it, attackers do not read and follow your company no. policy. And that's actually in the standard. Mate. That oh, made is me it? smile that's when I read wonderful. it. Because that was something that, that I had to clarify over and over and over again with people. Not have you suddenly added to your wireless, but has some a bad guy added to your wireless? I, totally, yeah. Just because so I have I, a policy I, against eating cookies after 10 doesn't mean I don't, right? Correct. <laughs> And I thought it was just really sweet that actually they, that was written in the standard. The attackers do not read and follow company policy. I love that. I'm going to have to go find that now. That's great. Um, but and I, I, I mean, I mean, look, a standard's never perfect, right? It's 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 written by a committee of people who have different opinions, and sometimes you, you know, they they make compromises on what they think is good security as opposed to somebody else think is good security as opposed to what somebody else thinks is is good for the industry mm-hmm. as opposed to what somebody else thinks well that's an enormous cost for the whole industry do we get cost benefit from it right so so the standard is it is never perfect you won't agree with everything in it and i've read some interesting comment from people who blog about stand you know about pci already ah oh, it's terrible it's like <laughs> no it's not terrible it's not perfect we could all make it better i there are bits of it that I don't think are very good, and I spent two years writing bits of it. Okay. Well, people who right? write cranky things are—that's how they they get people to click. So, uh, you know, take it for, know. with a grain of salt. I think it's one of the best standards out there, and I assess against um, quite a few. So, right. Um, I, I think it's I think it's uh, like you said, pragmatic. I think there, it, that compared to many standards, it's highly pragmatic. Yeah, and I, and I think. This version is, on the whole, if you take it out, you can criticize different little bits of it. Like, you might say iframe should be in the, not in SAQA, for example. Yeah. Not, you might say, you might you can find little bits you could criticize, but if you take it as a whole, I think it's a damn good job by the, by the whole industry for the whole industry. Terrific. Well, any last piece of advice you can offer to organizations who are moving to 4.0? Don't leave it. Don't think, well, 2025 is a long way away. 
Because yeah. if you, you know, if you need to buy stuff, it's not in this year's budget. So you need to get it in the next budgetary cycle. Yeah. It might not be in this year's change program. You need to get it into next year's change program or the next year after its change program. Terrific. Right. So in, in big organizations, uh, uh, service providers, level one merchants, there's a lot of work to do. Well, so if people want to read more about what you have to say, which is a lot and great, great stuff, where where's the best place for them to read your stuff? So, so the joy of not working for a card brand or anyone where you've got an internal or a marketing department that says, no, John, you can't go on podcasts and you can't write things. <laughs> the joy of working for myself is that I can now write things. So I'm, I'm blogging at pci.rocks, yeah? It's a, actually a domain or pcirocks.substack.com. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to write intelligently and not snarkily about the standard and hopefully give some insights into why things are the way that they are. And also, one of the problems that brand, a brand can never really write about what other brands do. Mm-hmm. So MasterCard couldn't write, and the Visa way of doing it is this. The PCI Council will never say what the brand compliance no. rules are because no, they, they don't know them because they're yeah. antitrust. And so I'm in quite a useful position that I can write about what the standard says also put that in terms of what are the brand's responsibilities, what's the acquirer's responsibilities, what's the assessor's responsibilities, i.e. Who, who's going to be liable and, and who cares about these things. And so mix the standard with the brand compliance rules at the same time. Um, and I think I'm the only person writing in that area at the moment. And I, 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 and I hope that's really useful. Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. I really enjoy it. Thanks for having me again. It's been a pleasure. Great. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for watching. To watch more episodes of Security Metrics Podcast, click on the box on the left. If you prefer to listen to this podcast, it's available on all your favorite podcast platforms. See you on the slopes.